0: And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these so he gave them permission then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned when the herdsmen saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country then people went out to see what had happened and they came to jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: G'day City on a Hill. Hope and pray you are keeping well. A big shout out to our church family here in Melbourne and a huge good day to Joel and Emma Deacon and the church planting team who are gathering and joining us from Wollongong. Wherever you are right now why don't you give us a big wave and maybe in the comments below let us know where you are tuning in from. We love that we can be a church that's centered on knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. You know early last year I was preaching uh, through the book of Revelation and as I was leaving Hoyt's Melbourne Central after one of our services, I received a text message from a good mate uh, who would taken a screen grab from my Strava account and Strava you know, uh, monitors your, your running and your exercise. And he sent me this screen grab. We'll bring it up here. Uh, and he was drawing my attention to something. I don't know if you can see it. Tune in, getting close. First of all, he points out that I've run perfectly in the shape of a six. And in addition to that, note this, the distance that I just happened to run was six, six, six. Six kilometers, six, six. Uh, Why was he pointing this out to me? Well, for those of you who read the book of Revelation, you'll know that uh, uh, this number is often attributed to the mark of the beast. So what does a pastor do with this? Well, of course they give up running and they start riding a bike instead. Unfortunately, A few weeks later, another pastor texts me with a different screen grab from my Strava account. This time I've gone on an afternoon ride. Perfectly innocent, nothing wrong with that. But look at the calories that I burnt. (laughs) 666 calories. You know what that means? I think it means it's time for us all to stop exercising. Now, of course, numbers like this um, can be a bit of a laugh, can be a bit of fun. But it's worth saying that for many including Christians the devil and his involvement in our world can be seen as a myth. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis points this out well in Mere Christianity where uh, he says there are two mistakes that Christians make around the demonic realm. One is to feel an excessive and unhealthy obsession. The other is to pretend it isn't real. As the great philosopher Kevin Spacey once said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. This is why today's encounter is particularly important. You know, throughout our series we've been getting up close and personal with real men and women who've encountered Jesus. And what's particularly interesting about today's encounter is that Jesus confronts a man who's oppressed by a multitude of evil spirits. And as we explore this text, Jesus not only helps us confront the reality of the demonic realm, but forces us to consider whose side we are on. So if you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to our reading, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Let's read this together. Then they, that's Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land there met him a man from the city who had demons. So here Jesus meets a man and not just any man but a man enslaved by demons. Right? Uh, Luke is pointing out a multitude of evil spirits had taken hold of this man's life and were subjecting him to a personal, physical and spiritual slavery. Uh, We're not told what brought this man to this moment. We're not told why these evil spirits had laid siege on him, only that he had been stripped bare and was now making his home among the dead. Uh, we actually learn in Mark's gospel that this was a very violent man, uh, a man uh, of self-destruction who couldn't be held back by any other person. Uh, he would spend his nights in, in anxiety, howling at the night sky and, and using sharp rocks to cut his own body. Right? So, so who is this man? What is the picture here? This is a picture of chaos. Chaos uh, is when all order is gone. Chaos is when things are no longer as they should be. Chaos is when the way of God has been disrupted and overturned. And where does this chaos come from? Well, in the book of Genesis, we see it's not long into God's good, perfect design that an enemy enters in, the serpent comes to deceive and disrupt. And what is the result? A breaking down of order, a disruption of what is good, a plunging of the world into chaos. We see chaos, don't we, in relationships. We see chaos in creation itself. We see chaos in our mental health, chaos in our physical health, and chaos in our relationship with God. Satan is the king of chaos and his fingerprints, the fingerprints of evil can be seen all through the scriptures and the witness of history. You know, Stories of evil empires that, that, that bring chaos to our world, stories of evil spirits inflicting and afflicting God's people, stories of the demonic waging war against this world. We do live in a beautiful world, but we also must remember that our life and this world is a tale of two cities. We live in a physical city and a spiritual city. We live in a city of light and a city of darkness. We live in the midst of heaven and in the midst of hell. Consider for a moment the chaos that our world has experienced over the past 18 months Uh, Here in Melbourne, we've been in lockdown longer than anywhere else in the world. And just this week, I was talking with a police officer just outside Melbourne Central about the protests that, that took hold of our city. And it was so clear how much those protests had rocked this police officer and indeed our city. How does the secular age explain the rage? How do men and women capable of such creativity and compassion spiral down into so much hate and bitterness and violence? How is it that good people can be captured by so much anger and bitterness and chaos? On the surface, the answer to that is easy. We can say, well, we've been in lockdown this long. We can talk about loss of freedoms. We can talk about our frustration in losing jobs and and we can talk about it at that level. But have you considered that behind the curtain of this world is a force of darkness that extends beyond the physical? Have you considered that right now there is a spiritual realm which is at work to pull us apart and catapult us into more and more chaos. As disciples of Jesus, we see the world through the lens of the kingdom. We recognise that the devil is not only real, but is a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour, looking for something to disrupt, looking to bring chaos to God's good design. But what happens when the rule of the demonic comes face to face with the rule of Jesus. Look with me to verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before Jesus and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, you know that just prior this encounter, Jesus had been on a boat with his disciples when they were crashed by the chaos of the wind and the waves. And the disciples watched as Jesus faced that storm and said, be still. And immediately there was calm. And what Luke says is that as the disciples saw this miracle take place, they talked amongst one another saying, who is this man? that The waves obey his voice. Here in this encounter, they receive the answer. Jesus is not just a teacher, a spiritual guide or guru. He is the son of the most high God. And yet, do you notice this man's request? He says, I beg you, do not torment me. Actually, he says something very similar in verse 31. The spirits beg Jesus not to be thrown into the abyss. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because not only do they recognize Jesus' power, but they know why Jesus has come. They know that when Jesus stepped onto the stage of human history, He came to wage war against the forces of evil. And that's worth considering. It's worth considering because sometimes we imagine Jesus in a nice white flowing robe, carrying a baby lamb and talking with kids and handing out lollipops and rainbows. We picture Jesus, we imagine Jesus as the nice guy, the good guy, the safe guy. But Jesus is so much more. Listen, when Jesus took on flesh, he came with a mission and a purpose to face the storm. He came to push back the darkness. He came to hold the devil and his demons to account. He came to step into the chaos and reclaim order. Look to verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged Jesus to let them enter these. So Jesus Gave them permission. It's a curious scene. If this were Hollywood, the scene in Luke 8 would probably play out differently. There would be a struggle between the demonic forces and Jesus. There would be this wrestle, there'd be this almighty fight, and we would sit on the edge of our seats, eating our popcorn, waiting and wondering in anticipation about who might win. But this isn't Hollywood. This is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the demons know who has the power. They know who has the authority. In the kingdom of God, they know how the story will end. Verse 33 Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Why does Jesus cast these demons into the pigs? I don't know. But what's interesting is what happens immediately after. Did you see that? The moment the demons enter the pigs, the herd rush off a cliff into a lake and are drowned. That's interesting. It's interesting because the, the demons that had taken hold of this man had begged for mercy. They had begged to be freed from the abyss. They were the ones who actually asked to go into the pigs. But in trying to escape judgment, they find themselves cast over the edge and into a lake of destruction. And in many ways that clues us in to the self-destructive nature of evil. Evil is always blindsided by its own demise. It believes the lie that it can run, it can hide. It believes that its reign will have no end. And yet like these pigs rushing off the cliff, so evil will face its own destruction. You know, whether we're talking about an evil dictator, a criminal gang, a corrupt business, or even a church that's corroded by sin, eventually light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome the light. And ultimately, the destruction of these evil spirits is something of a foretaste of what will come. Just as the demons were cast into the swine, and uh, just as the demons were cast into the swine and drowned in the lake, so the Book of Revelation says that a day is coming where the devil and his demons will be cast into God's judgment, the eternal abyss. The lake of fire, every evil spirit, every force of darkness, every demonic presence and power will see an eternal judgment, an eternal end. They will go to the lake of fire, right? And so listen here, this is why Jesus not only confronted evil and pushed back darkness in His day, but continue to tell people to repent for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. What is repentance? It is a turning away from darkness into light. It is a turning away from sin and a pursuing of holiness. It is a turning away from evil and death and embracing life. Right? Some of you, listen, are walking in darkness. Some of you are Clinging to sin. Some of you are treating God with indifference, believing the lie that your evil can just keep running. The truth is, God loves you and He desires that none shall perish. And right now, right now, He wants you to see the authority and the power of Jesus and the victory that is in His name. He wants you to see that authority and He wants you to repent, to yield, to surrender your life to Him. And for those of you who are in Jesus, who have perhaps felt the sting of evil and darkness in this world, set your eyes on God and see how the story goes. Violence and chaos is not going to have the final word. Jesus will. Disease, darkness, death, will not have the final word. Jesus will. Is there a war between now and then? Is the battle marked with blood, sweat and tears? Absolutely. But listen, in Jesus, in Jesus, we fight knowing that this is God's, battle, it's his battle and in him we have the authority, the power and indeed the victory. Look then to verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's an amazing scene. Here is this man who once lived among the dead, screaming, inflicting harm on others and himself. Here he now is at the feet of Jesus. His nakedness, clothed. His anxiety and screaming and terror, is now at peace. This is a man who has been set free. This is a man who has encountered the beauty, the truth, the relevance of Jesus. This is a man who has been born again, right? Not only does Jesus uh, deliver the evil spirits from his life, he makes him new, He's, he's transformed. You know, perhaps you're tuning in and you yourself have felt weighed down by this world. Maybe you've been living under a demonic hold. Maybe there's been evil oppression in your life. Maybe you've been stuck in the bondage of of fear. Or perhaps you've just worn out by the chaos in your life, strained relationships, division in your family, ongoing battles with anxiety, unchecked anger, jealousy that runs rampant, fear that that can't be restrained. I want you to know, listen, Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the love to meet you, to transform you and indeed to free you, right? Jesus is not just our teacher, though he is, He is our liberator and our healer. You know, I was given a Bible when I was just 16 years of age and reading through the stories of Jesus like this, so liberating, encountering Christ, the one who healed the leper, the one who raised the dead, the one who pushed back the darkness with light. It was liberating. And I wanted to give my life to Jesus, And the closer I got to Jesus, the more I recognized that there was stuff in my soul that needed to be dealt with. Stuff that I I needed freedom from. Some of you know this, but when I was about 16 years of age, I went to a uh, midweek church service. It was actually an Anglican church. And uh, there were a lot of people there. And to be honest, for the first the hour of the night, I really didn't know a whole lot that was going on. I was really, really new to church. i only just been given a Bible and um, the minister shares a message. And at the end of the message, he comes up to me and he says, oh, uh, would you like to be a catcher? Uh, being new to church, I had no idea what he was talking about uh, and so I say, yes, of course, I would love to be a catcher. I'd played a bit of sport. I felt quite comfortable in a room full of Christians. I'm like, yeah, let's give this a go. Next thing you know, I'm standing behind this lady and he says, okay, I want you to put your arms out like this and uh, I want you to catch her. Again, I'm completely confused at this point, but that's okay. He prays for this woman and she immediately falls to the ground, All right? Prays for this woman. She immediately falls to the ground, but she doesn't fall backwards, right? Like other people were falling. She just falls straight down and immediately she starts crying and she's crying. And I think it's because I dropped her. So I get down and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, miss. I It's my first time playing catch a falling Christian. I'm so sorry about this. Uh, The guy, the pastor is like, no, 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 no. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's okay. Don't worry. Well, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, okay. And then, you know, we, he's praying for other people and I'm catching them. And by the end of the night, I became a, a pro at catching a falling Christian, you know, like left side and right side. I knew exactly how it went. But at the end of the night, he turns to me, he says, can I pray for you? And uh, it was a really, um, you know, it's one of those questions where you just stop in that moment because I was sensing uh, a lot of spiritual activity in this room. Again, I'm really new to faith. I'm really new to understanding who Jesus is. And I'm like, sure. You know, you can pray for me. And uh, he prays for me. Um, And it's hard for me to describe what happened. Um, But I experienced what I could only describe as a spiritual presence. A very warm, comforting, close, personal presence. It felt like a a literal filling of my body from head to head to toe. And to my surprise, the next thing I know is that I was on the ground weeping. And the more this pastor said the name Jesus, the louder I wept. Now I can just, as you would appreciate, as a 16-year-old male lying out on a Tuesday night weeping is not an usual Tuesday night, right? right? I knew what was going on and yet there I was on the floor weeping at the name of Jesus. Um, after this, after what was probably about an hour, um, the minister said, hey, can I, can I chat with you? And he says, have you ever been involved in the New Age movement? Ever been engaged with anything in the occult? And I was stunned because I had. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, for the last two years, I've been studying tarot cards. I've been reading people's futures. I've got my own tarot set at home in a black cloth and I've got a spiritual book which outlines all the different spirits that you can call on. I've called out to those spirits and he talked about that with me and then prayed some more and that night we we went our way. Now I know some uh, would be very skeptical of experiences like that and uh, I know that not everybody has those kinds of encounters but could it be that that night the Holy Spirit was dealing with a spiritual oppression that was in my life? Could it be that Jesus ne- needed to deal with something that was happening in my world? I don't know for sure, but here I am, a man who loves Jesus and feels very alive and free in his spirit. Now, you and your friends may not be immersed in the New Age or the occults. You and your friends may not be like this man in Luke who was captured by many demons. But isn't it true that without Christ and his intervening grace and his power, we are all slaves to something or someone? Maybe a spirit of greed, spirit of lust, might be a spirit of pride, despair, rebellion, there can be multitude of different spirits holding us to all kinds of different addictions. Addictions to pornography, addictions to your appearance, addictions to your career, addictions to what people think about you. You're a slave to so many different things. They're not just chemical or physical. Sometimes that can definitely be spiritual. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? It means that in as much as we read God's Word and study it deeply, so we must seek the promises, the power, the presence that the Word of God affords. We must call on the Spirit's help to fill our lives and to deliver us and to free us in the fullness that we have in Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want to increase your intellectual knowledge, doesn't want to give you just a few theological truths. He invites you to repent of sin and be transformed by his power. He wants to break the chains of oppression in your life. If you're here in Melbourne or perhaps tuning in at one of our locations, I want you to reflect on your life for a moment. I want you to ask if there is anything that has taken a hold, anything that has a grip on you. It could be something in your past. It could be something in your present. Something that is holding you. I want to encourage you right now to bring that to Jesus in prayer. I want to encourage you to to take a step of faith and share that with a trusted Christian friend maybe someone who leads your gospel community, maybe a pastor, maybe someone on staff. Share it with someone. Invite them to fast for you, to pray for you, to join you in casting whatever it is to God in prayer because He loves you. God loves you. You know that? Jesus loves you. He loves you and He has the power to set you free. And if you are a believer today, if you know the power and authority of Christ, then check out how this story ends. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away. That's not misses the best part. Proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Um, it's a beautiful an intriguing scene, isn't it? Because on one hand, this guy wants nothing more than to be with Jesus. I want to be close to his freedom. I want to be close to his safety. I want to be close to his security and his comfort. And yet, interestingly, Jesus says, no. Jesus says, i got a mission for you. i got a purpose for you. I want you to go out into your city as a redeemed, transformed man and to declare to people what God has done. And that's what he does. He goes out proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You know, here in Melbourne or wherever you're tuning into, we have cities around us, cities and suburbs, homes where darkness has taken hold, cities where chaos has taken a grip. What is our response to that? Oh, there's a deep longing in me just to be close to Jesus and we are to walk and abide in Jesus. But sitting on a hill, our call is not just to know Jesus. What is it? It is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Just as Jesus sent this delivered man into the city to declare the good news of the gospel, so he sends us out. He sends us out. Why? Because this is how we push back the forces of darkness. This is how we drive a dagger into the heart of the enemy. If you are a Christian, ask yourself what it would look like for you to step out in the confidence of the gospel and declare this good news. What would it look like for you to step out and share your own testimony? You have a story to tell if you are born again. If God has delivered you, you have a sermon to preach. Don't put that under a bowl. Don't hide that. Don't ignore that. Be like this man in this story. Go out into your city and share it. Declare that good news and know that as you do it, you are pushing back the forces of darkness. I know for me that sometimes I'm excited by that vision, I want to get amongst it and yet I can feel afraid, I can feel nervous, I can feel gripped by unbelief and doubt and sometimes you need to ask yourself where is that coming from, why is it that I lack courage? You know in the Letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has some really practical and important words about our mission and our purpose and what it means to be a Christian in this world. In Ephesians 6, he reminds us that we are in a battle, right? He says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places right? So when you go out and declare the good news of Jesus, He is warning us, we're going in for battle. But note the application, note the encouragement that we don't go alone. We are called to do what? To armour up, right? Paul says, put on the whole armour of God, right? For example, uh, Ephesians 6, 16, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Why? Because when you as a Christian go out, you're going to come under a barrage of arrows from the evil one. Each arrow will come to wage war on your trust in God, just as he did with Adam and Eve, our first parents. So he's going to seek to sow seeds of doubt and condemnation in your life. What will you do? What do we all need to do? We need to lift up The shield of faith. We need to pray, Lord, help me take hold of that shield of faith. Help me to lay claim to the promises of God that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The promise that God is good. The promise that God is faithful. The promise that He will work all things for our good and His glory. The promise that there is nothing that can separate us From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, neither height nor death nor angel nor demon can separate us. We have a shield. And Christian, you need to hold it up. You need to pray it in. You need to be mindful of what you have as you walk into this battle. And interestingly, notice that when Paul talks about the armour of God, it's not just defensive armour, but he sends us out on the offence, right? Check this out. He says that in addition to the, to the shield that you will hold, he gives us what? He says, take hold of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right? So you've got a shield in one hand, but you've got a sword in the other. When Jesus sent out this man in Luke 8 to declare the story of healing, when he sent him out to declare the authority, the identity and the power of Jesus, he was equipping him with a sword a sword that he knew would push back the forces of darkness and drive a dagger into the heart of the enemy. So I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. What does that mean for you and me? It means we are people of God's Word. When we gather in gospel communities, when we tune in on a Sunday for a service, when we go to a Bible training course, we're not doing it just to puff up our knowledge. We are there to what? Sharpen our sword and be prepared for battle, right? So we can go into battle knowing that God is good. We can go into battle knowing that our world needs light and we can go into battle declaring the victory that is ours in Jesus. I was so encouraged, so encouraged last weekend um, to see God's church, City on a Hill, here in Melbourne, rallying together to serve our city and push back the forces of darkness. Very practical care was, was gathered together. We, by God's grace, men and women across our church put together something like 533 care packs. I think it's a little higher now, 533 care packs for Melbourne's homeless and disadvantaged. In addition, we were able to give 6,374 nappies to families living in Melbourne who recently had fled Afghanistan. And not only did they put together these packs of care and support, but they shared a word of faith. Have a look at what was included. Just a card that the team put together. You are loved more than you know. And then note this: John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know what this is? This is the light of Christ. This is the sword of our Saviour. This is the thunderbolt that crashes against our enemy. City on a hill, this is who we are. This is what we are called amidst the chaos we declare order amidst darkness you bring light and where there is death and destruction in Jesus and his authority and his power we move in life so let's go to him now in prayer father we thank you for Jesus thank you that he stepped onto the stage of human history into the chaos, into the mess, to confront evil, to make all things new. We thank you for his work. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death and we thank you for his resurrection. And we thank you that in Jesus, we can be set free from evil and set apart to be your light and love in this world. I pray, Lord God, that right now, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Would you protect us from the evil one? Would you armor us with the full armor of God? And would you send us out to make a difference? Lord, we long for your light to shine. Let it be true in our life. We pray for our good and your glory. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast.